Welcome to Lords of Order, the DC Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is episode 61. More fun comics issue 77 from 1942 will be the topic. Uh, This is a spoiler podcast, so keep that in mind. You can send any feedback to the Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Comments are welcome at bigtimenoise.com slash Dr. Fate, the website. Facebook and Google Plus on the Lords of Order pages. And via Twitter at T-O-T-E-A-L Productions. Now this volume of More Fun Comics is the first volume, uh, 1936. The story is scripted by Gardner Fox, penciled lettered and inked by Howard Sherman, and Dr. Fate didn't warrant a cover this issue, but he is the second story up. The first story is a Green Arrow story, and I say that because I had noticed Green Arrow being in the book before. This can be found in the Golden Age Dr. Fate archives published by DC back in 2007. When a dealer engages in art for crime's sake by removing enemies that suddenly become troublesome, then Dr. Fate, dynamic master of mystic, steps into the picture in more exciting ways than one. We see uh, an image of Dr. Fate in front of a huge tapestry. The tapestry will play a major part of the story. Our narrator tells us, however, as part of the main story itself, that the year is 1845, a sea captain stopped at a Chinese port to trade. He met there an old Chinese artist. And the artist uh, offered him a good price on a, what he called a veli. Oh, I'm sorry. By this veli cheap, Captain Magic Pickler can go inside it. Oh, uh, Chinese or Oriental speech is what they're trying to emulate there in English. Uh, an Oriental accent on English is, is what that is. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's a tapestry is what he's trying to sell. And uh, the captain buys it, takes it on the journey with him. But somewhere along the way, the captain dies, is killed, whatever. All his belongings are shipped back to and stored at his house in Boston where it's just forgotten about. Uh, then in 1941, which is current for the book, even though it is cover dated March 1942, they say that this is occurring in 1941. Uh, the picture is discovered by the captain's great-great-granddaughter. She and her husband... Um, maybe he's not husband at this time, I don't think. Her and her boyfriend are having it appraised by Mr. Olan. And he seems eh, moderately interested until he drops his pen while they are distracted speaking, the couple, and his pen disappears into the tapestry, into the scene on the tapestry. And he grabs up another pen and says, I I suddenly remembered a client of mine wanted a picture like this. I'll give you 5000 for it. And they seem pretty pleased with that price. So... They sell it. He wraps it up, takes it away, Mr. Ulan. Later that evening, Kent Nelson and Inza Sanders in this story. I um, covered that in the last Golden Age episode, I think, 59 or maybe 58. 
Enza's uh, mercurial name, as it were. Uh, here she says, Bill and I are just married. I just sold an old picture for $5,000. So maybe they were married. The, the, I, I don't think the gap in time is big enough. So they, they were newly married when, when they sold it. So the woman and her husband, the great-great-granddaughter of the sea captain that bought it from the Chinese person. Uh, and her husband sold it. And conveniently enough, they know Kent Nelson and Insa as well. So they're happy to hear the news, and, and they're, they they go about their uh, revelry and, and merrymaking, you know, the two couples spending time together, having dinner, whatever. Outside, there's a couple skulking figures, the narrator tells us. And one says, them's the two. I don't know the others. Olin said to grab them so they wouldn't blab. We'll get them after the others leave. Referring to the granddaughter and her husband, Bill. So that night, they break in, but in breaking in, they uh, Ken hears them and changes into his Dr. Fate guys. And Dr. Fate uh, confronts the two ne'er-do-wells, shall we say, with much um, uh, uh, glib speaking. Um, he's, uh, yeah, just a typical golden age fighting. Um, He'll be coming down the staircase when he comes, Dr. Fate says. Down went McGinty to the bottom of the well. I'm not sure what that is, but that's probably a, a reference to something. Because the thug says, my name ain't McGinty, but I'm going down. You went down, now you're going out, Dr. Fate says. <laughs> um, and he finally subdues the two guys and asks them what's up. And they tell him, Ulan sent us, he bought a picture today and wanted the dame that sold it to him. That's all we know, D-A-T, dat. Uh, so Dr. Fate scoops him up, flies to where they were going to go, presumably where Ulan is. And again, as he flies, he flies like you would be running. You can see motion where his legs are churning. Um, now, for whatever reason... Dr. Ulan is here at the house of the granddaughter and her husband, Bill. I don't know if he was originally with the other two, if all of them came together, or if they didn't return in time and he went to see what was taking them so long. But he saw that Dr. Fate had subdued them, his two henchmen, and left. So he presumes that Dr. Fate is going to Dr. Ulan's place with the two thugs. Ulan just barges into the house and at gunpoint kidnaps the girl. They still haven't given her a name, but they gave her husband a name, Bill. So in 1942, men warranted names and women didn't, is, is my takeaway. Except in the Wonder Woman comic book. I think there women got names, but um, they were tied up a lot. But that's, that's a story for another, another show. Which, there really should be a Wonder Woman podcast out there, just let me say. There is not. And there needs to be a Wonder Woman podcast that covers Wonder Woman from her first Golden Age appearances, Sensation Comics, all the way through. That would be an excellent show to listen to. Get it done, Potosphere. Get it done. Um, so now Dr. Fate arrives at the house of Ulan and recognizes the tapestry, the magic gate, he calls it, painted by Lu Tung, 
but it was his understanding that the, it was just legend. It was a myth. So he looks at the tapestry, decides he's going to check it out to see if it's for real, and goes into it, right? Just like uh, the dude's pen did. Apparently, you can enter this world that is represented on the tapestry. Uh, so Dr. Fate does. Ulan shows up. His two henchmen are there, knocked out. They say, well, you know, we, we don't know where Dr. Fate was. He was right here just a second ago. And Ulan figures, well, we don't see him around anywhere. He must have gone into the tapestry. And at gunpoint, he forces the granddaughter and Bill into the tapestry as well to hold them, uh, to keep them from reporting what they knew, which was really nothing. I mean, they, you know... Um, I'm not even sure, given enough time, that they really could have given the police much information on who bought it. Um, it didn't seem like there was much haggling or going back and forth. It was a, oh, pretty picture. No, I don't want it. Yes, I do. Here's your money. Bye. You know, I, so. Yeah. Uh, but to further the story, they had to be taken care of, done away with, you know, whatever euphemism you want to do. So uh, fate is in here just kind of, ooing and eyeing over the fact that this world as represented on the tapestry is um, is real is explorable and he runs into uh, the doctor uh, the excuse me the granddaughter great great granddaughter and bill uh, here we have a name finally Betsy of course Betsy and Bill I don't know there's just something too quaint about that but um they tell Dr. Fate what's going on, you know, why they're in there. And he leaves the tapestry because apparently it's like no secret or anything like that. He's able to exit and goes to find Ulan. We then cut to the henchman going to Carvel Gresham's home because Carvel is a rival art dealer of Ulan's. So they go to get Gresham. Uh, presumably, they're going to bring him and throw him in the tapestry, too. I, I guess that's how they're going to get rid of everybody. They're just going to populate the tapestry. Dr. Fate intercedes. More banter. Uh, I'll bet this will tickle your ribs. And the thug says, if it don't break them, um, I'd like to frame you if I had one. And Gresham hands him a picture, and he smashes it over the bad guy's head, says, don't let, don't let this go to your head. He pulls the rug out from under another henchman and says, this is where you fall down and go boom. He punches one. Your face may be a book, but after I get through with it, you'd better keep it closed. (laughs) They're bad. They're bad. Um, So he finally finishes, you know, beating them up, feels that they're softened up enough to talk and asks them where Ulan is. And they say, well, he's outside in the car. Which I thought, <laughs> which is kind of funny because it's like, you flew in here from parts unknown, you know, wherever, well, from Ulan's house, that's where the tapestry is. So you flew in here. You didn't notice that the getaway, that, that there was a getaway car for the guys, much less, it's a convertible, okay, or it's topless, whatever, it's a retractable top probably. Uh, you didn't notice the car. You didn't notice there was somebody sitting in the car. There was a wheel man waiting. But you go in and you beat up these thugs for a little while. Now, on the other side of the coin, the dude in the car didn't notice Dr. Fate enter the house. He didn't hear the ruckus while Dr. Fate was pummeling these two guys, throwing them all over the room. 
And so when Dr. Fake comes out of the house, Ulan is surprised to see him. Oh, where'd you come from? Yeah, yeah. okay. So he tries to drive away, screaming, stay away, stay away. But Fate chases him down, picks up the car and does the uh, the hefting of the car over his head, carrying it on his shoulders, you know, kind of deal with his head bent down, uh, running through the air, uh, like he, uh, not like, but flying by running through the air. And you guys can't see this. Every time he flies, I do the uh, hovering finger man, waving finger, running motion, whatever you want to call that. So, yeah, if only this were a video podcast, you could see, you could see my wife here too. But I don't know that she would be appreciative of that. So, uh, we, yet again, he threatens the bad guy by letting them go while he's flying. Only this time, it's the car <laughs> with Ulan still in it. And Dr. Fate says, I hope you bounce, Ulan. It's going to be awful if you don't. I don't know. I would think it would be just as bad if he just hit and went splat. You know, what is bouncing going to do? But then mid-flight, Dr. Fate zooms down and grabs him by the scruff of the collar and hauls him out of the car. Car plummets into a body of water uh, out of nowhere. There there wasn't one. They were over like a, a little village when he let the car go. A little village. Okay, so anyways, um, Dr. Fate says, we'll fix your car so that it won't hurt anyone. Then we're going back to your place. I want to find out how you like the idea of being in there yourself, referring to the tapestry. So he leaves Ulan uh, sitting in a chair, uh, contemplating his badness, says, I'll find Bill and Betsy, then return for you. Be sure you're still here. And of course, Ulan says, don't worry, I'll be here. What else is he going to say? No, the minute you turn your back, I'm going to run, you punk. You know? Okay. So, uh, fate is in the tapestry, the the picture painted by the mystical Chinese person, calling for Bill and Betsy. They're nowhere to be found, but he does espy a giant footprint. Decides to fly so that he can see the footprint, the trail better that the footprints are, are making. And once again although I didn't do it this time because now I'm self-conscious. He does the flying with the uh, um, scissoring of his legs kind of movement again. I don't know why he can't just go all plank and fly like Superman. It works for Superman. It works for Shazam, too, I believe. If that's, uh, I believe that's how I've seen Shazam drawn. So, well, Are they trying to make him different from, you know? So... Uh, Fate finally finds the creature uh, that is making the giant footprints, and it is my impression that what they are trying to relay is a large oriental man giant. He's he's wearing like shorts that look like a diaper, and he's got this center top knot ponytail like thing going in his head. Um, no Fu Manchu stash, though. That that would have been the dead giveaway. He doesn't have that. But the creature is colored a rather palish kind of yellow. So I suppose since the tapestry was painted by someone of Chinese origin, they're alluding to the fact that the giant in the painting is also of Chinese origin. Eh, you know, it was the early 1940s. There was There was no genteelness. There, there was no politically correct. I'm not even sure if they had the words political and correct yet, but of course they did. But, you know, so uh, that is something that, that is interesting to run into uh, in the Golden and 
Uh, well, gold and silver, bronze, you run into it until probably about the middle of the Bronze Age. Um, all of the slang, particularly the slang terms that white people had for anyone else. Now, you run into the other way around on occasion, where these different peoples, whatever their slang terms are for white people. But typically, you know, you're, the vast, vast majority of your characters are white, so any references that are going around are to slang names for any other nationalities, any other religions, any anybody else, really, all through comic book dumb and uh, I suppose that's because all those things were accepted. It, it was okay to say that even in the uh, most, and I, I used this word a moment ago, the most genteel of company. I guess it was still accepted to use words, uh, but also to use representations that you know indicated the same thing as the words did, verbal, only uh, visual representations that were... Um, questionably motivated, I guess you could say. So Dr. Fate takes out the uh, giant, or maybe it's an ogre. I mean, it it looks human. It doesn't look unhuman. Um, I think ogres can kind of look like regular humans sometimes. So they they get into a knockdown, and outside, we we cut to outside, and we see Ulan is is getting some of his backbone back, since nobody is there, right, but him. And he decides he's going to trap Dr. Fate, or maybe it'll be really cool, and I'll kill him. I'll set the picture on fire, and, you know, that'll get rid of everybody, including Dr. Fate that's in there. So we see Ulan set a torch to the picture. Cut back inside to the mystical land of tapestry. And Dr. Fate is trying to punch the ogre, but to no avail. He said it's like punching a mountain. The ogre tells him, wait until this rock hits you back. Which point he, uh, Dr. Fate summons fire. Mm, I, I don't know. I think we've seen that like maybe once before that he can do that. Can control flame. So uh, he says, my fire can burn, but not destroy him. Now, this is interesting. Okay, keep keep this in mind. My fire can burn, but not destroy him, Dr. Fate says. And the giant reacts, ow, wow, like he's being hurt, right? I'll crush you, I'll bash you, he says. And then he, he starts taking swings at Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate realizes, well, he can't defeat him. So he just swoops down to grab Bill and Betsy, who um, now have appeared from nowhere, uh, but they're uh, on the ground between the giant's feet. So they were... There the whole time, I guess. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the giant was shepherding them or something, and we just hadn't seen them yet. Dr. Fate scoops them up, tries to fly away. Eh, we don't necessarily get that leg kick scissor motion thing going here because he's carrying two people, so his legs are kind of obscured. Flying, trying to get away from the giant, not fast enough. Giant grabs him in his fist. And of course, what what does the giant do? The narrator tells us. With terrific pressure, the great hand squeezes the three victims, you know, uh, trying to juice them like an orange or a grape, whatever. Then all of a sudden, the giant yells, ow, ah, my flesh, my body. They don't know what's going on. They just know that he's reacting this way. Then suddenly around them, flame starts to envelop everything, them being uh, Bill and Betsy and Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate says, I'm having, uh, I'm, I have a feeling our pal Ulan has a hand with an oil-soaked torch in this. Outside, 
Ulan is, he, he's got his hands up like he's fighting back the flames, so I guess it's really hot. I thought at first he was waving by, but uh, I don't think that's what he's doing, because he's saying, Dr. Fate, dead, destroyed by me. What a joke, what revenge. So I thought maybe he's trying to be witty and he's waving, but there are, there are no motion marks for his hand. Um, and the tapestry burns, and then, like, in the midst of this, are left Bill and Betsy and Dr. Fate. Because, Dr. Fate says, the spell that created that magic picture wasn't woven about us. It included the giant, though. He's dead. Now, before I said, notice that Dr. Fate's fire burnt the giant but didn't kill him. This fire did kill him. I... You know, I thought that they, I thought it was interesting that they, if they were going to do this, if if this is what the writer had in mind, Gardner Fox, to burn the tapestry ultimately at the end of the story, why then in the midst of the story did they introduce that same fire and show us that it couldn't hurt the giant, just to have fire kill the giant? Kind of, kind of odd. I don't know, but um, fate, Kapowies, Ulan. In a fit of um, irony, fate says, you saved our lives. If you hadn't broken your promise to remain where you were, he would have killed me, the giant, because he was squishing him. Dr. Fate couldn't get out. Um, So Bill and Betsy thank fate. Fate takes Ulan to the local authorities, gets back to the home, maybe in time or at at a later date. We have the Inza Kent duo hook back up with the Bill and Betsy duo, and we see that Bill and Betsy are going to take uh, tell Kent and Inza a story about Dr. Fate, and Inza says, make it good, you two. I've been worried while you were gone, whereas Kent is thinking as though she hadn't heard it before. Um, I guess meaning that as soon as he got back to her presence, he told her the story of what had gone on, and uh, she's she's feigning ignorance of of the story. Um, just some thoughts, some things that I, I haven't talked about too too much in in the other episodes uh, with these Golden Age books. I, I really I like the art. It's very uh, un uh, un un un. The the frames are unfull panels the panels are unfull okay you know they're not just things to look at everywhere um not necessarily uh not a whole lot of detail that's that's not how i would describe it um but just there are fewer there just are fewer things to look at so that your eyes only see the main things that they want you to see right whether it's a setting or it's a car or a building or one of the characters it's not Dr. Fate in the midst of a crowd or, you know, anything like that. Very, um, I don't know, words are coming to my mind that I don't think fit. Simplistic, uh, basic, but that's not, I, I, I don't, uh, sometimes when you're talking about art, I think those words have um, uh, derogatory connotations. And that's certainly not what I'm meaning in, in this instance. Uh, very simple. I guess simple would be the best word. Very simple backgrounds. Uh, very simple breakdowns, probably, for the art. 
Um, very heavy inking, though, I think. Very heavy inking. And of course, in 1942, not typically the most complex color palettes that that they had available at the time. So you had colors that would drop out. You had things that were just interesting colors because I I guess they just wanted to make it interesting. You know, it's not naturally or normally a color you would associate with whatever it was, but pow, there it was, some nice vibrant green or something. Um, The writing uh, recently, and I've noted this in, in my coverage, Gardner Fox shifted the writing from a more aloof, superheroic Dr. Fate to a more chummy, street-level, fisticuff-liking Dr. Fate. So now he runs into these situations with all these cute little quips using his hands rather than frickin' summoning fire from his hands like he did against the giant, you know, or levitating them and bouncing them against the wall or just throwing them out the window with levitation or whatever else he could do. Transporting them to another realm, you know, just saying, poof, be gone. And and so um, he has this mystical possibilities and they have, the, the writers have set that up, but now they have chosen not to use that. They're trying to make him much more, um, Dudley Do-Right, you know, just a regular human person defeating the bad guys in regular human ways. And then when they mm, conceivably, or perhaps on purpose, write him into a corner where he needs more than just fisticuffs, then they pull out the powers. So, uh, I think I prefer my, uh, my mystical Dr. Fate with the enchantments and the ancient Egyptian origins, which boy, in this most recent issue of Dr. Fate, did they hit on for the new volume. Oh, they just dumped Egyptian mythology all over that story for the final part of this first arc. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still liking the art. The story is kind of going away from... and and. I've seen that in the most recent issues of uh, All-Star Comics also, that they have taken the character, because it's the same writer, actually. Uh, He's continued that trend in that book as well. So, eh, we'll see. Uh, Here before too, too long, although I say that uh, at the rate that I talk about these books, I think it's like another 20 or 30 issues, actually, of uh, more fun, or All-Star, All-Star Comics. Uh, we see the introduction of the, uh, what do they call it, Secret Society of Supervillains or something like that. And we pull out some of the major baddies for each of the characters. And so some of the major baddies are mystical or powered. So I think that they will have to shift the way they handle those baddies by using the full extent of the different heroes' powers. Now, in All-Star Comics, um, for those of you that have heard those episodes, I don't discuss the other heroes parts of the story overall just the Dr. Fate part so it could be that some of those other heroes have been using their powers or their mystical powers like the Spectre let's say and I just haven't been covering it so I'm not aware of it alright guys uh, sorry to kind of go on just thoughts I I usually have some notes for these episodes but most of it is just stream of consciousness um, my stream of consciousness, so you may not be able to follow it at times. I, I apologize for that if I 
if I do that to you. Uh, hopefully, at the very least, it was entertaining listening to for a little while. Next time out will be More Fun Comics, issue 78, as we march through his Golden Age appearances, Dr. Fates, that is. See you guys then. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license. 